This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Maddie Welsh, and with me today is Jans Heike. And today we're going to be talking about his new book, Out of the Melting Pot, Into the Fire. So tell me about the background of this book and just sort of how it came to be. Yeah, the, the idea was that the United States for over 200 years has kind of followed a melting pot model for integrating new citizens and integrating the different groups in the United States. And over the last few decades, we've sort of shifted away from that model going towards more of a multicultural model where we focus on having separate identities instead of a single shared unifying identity. And the purpose of the book was to see what the consequences of making that transition will be. And fortunately, we have a lot of lot of examples around the world and in history of other other societies that have made that transition. So what the book does is it looks at those societies and, and shows how it worked out to, to switch from a multicultural model to or from a melting pot model to a multicultural one. So you look at a lot of examples from history. Tell me about that and what some what some of those are. Yeah, so uh, beginning with the Roman Empire, uh, which is a really interesting example, that the Romans from the very start had this idea that anybody could eventually become a Roman. And uh, so we don't we think of Rome as being this sort of monolithic entity, but from the from the very beginning it was really a, a conglomeration of of different groups of 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 Latins and Etruscans and and all these other groups that became Roman. And the Romans followed that model through their history as they absorbed Gauls and Pannonians and all these other groups. And and each of these groups could could become Roman, including even Africans. I I give examples in in the book of some some Africans who rose up the ranks and achieved the highest posts in the the Roman Empire. And it worked very, very well for them. Uh, This this idea that anybody could could become a Roman and rise up the ranks. And it's one of the reasons that the Rome was so resilient for hundreds and hundreds of years, all the way up till, till the 5th and 6th century, when they decided that they would go the other way, that they would um, allow there to be separate groups within the Roman Empire. And, and that's actually when things started to go downhill, when they stopped uh, fostering that shared sense of, of Roman identity. So that, that's probably one of the more profound examples because we saw, saw an empire that was extremely successful and held together extremely well by, by integrating all kinds of different groups. What are some of the more modern examples that you look to? Uh, so probably the most striking modern example would be Rwanda. And you know, that was a country back in the 1800s before colonialists arrived. The two groups there, the two main groups that Tutsis and the Hutus, actually got along fairly well. There was no systematic violence between those two groups uh, before 1900. And what happened is the Belgian colonialists came in and they decided that they would do better with a sort of a divide-and-conquer approach. And to do that, they, they separated the two groups up. They said, you're Hutus and you're Tutsis. And they actually issued identity cards to, to firm up that distinction. 
and along with a program of affirmative action that benefited the Tutsis. And that went on for decades. And over, over time, the, the groups developed animosity towards each other because of that distinction. Um, and eventually that led to the genocide, which happened in, in 1995. So we actually we took a country that was getting along pretty well. There was not a strong sense of group distinction, and it was you know was torn apart um, by introducing that group distinction. So you talked about the idea of the melting pot and what that sort of has looked like in America. So what are the objections to that idea um, and alternate things that people propose? Yeah. So the the main um, Opposing view over the last few decades has, has been the sense of multiculturalism, or what I would call hard multiculturalism, which is that it's it's more respectful of people to to allow them to keep their original identities from wherever they came from, or or to really emphasize those identities rather than rather than meld them into a shared identity. And somehow that's better for those people who are more respectful uh, of them to do that. Um, and that's been, you know, kind of the last 30 or 40 years, and it, it's accelerated over time to the point where, where universities um, are, you know, having segregated graduation ceremonies and so on. I, I point out, like right now, I'm down in California for my son's graduation at USC, and yesterday they had a black graduation. Uh, today's the Latinx graduation, and and tomorrow will be the graduation for everyone else. What do you think are the consequences of this multiculturalism push? Well, I, I think we can see them in in, in these other countries. Uh, I've given some extreme examples, like Rwanda. Uh, another one would be Sri Lanka, where where you had two groups, Sinhalese and Tamils that were likewise divided against each other. And, you know, the worst outcome is genocide. Uh, I don't think that will happen in the United States anytime soon. But what does happen and what the book documents with statistics is that when you have a society that's divided ethnically, a lot of things just don't work as well because people don't, they don't feel like they're on the same team. So all the social pathologies that you see, you know, in countries like India and Brazil, uh, high levels of corruption, uh, low provision of, of public goods, all of those things, they get a lot worse um, because people just don't, they don't make the sort of civic contributions they do in a, in a society where everybody feels like they're on the same team. This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Maddie Welsh, and I'm talking with Jans Heike. I've heard it said that the United States is less of a melting pot and more of like a beef stew. I, that's a paraphrase of a quote, um, and I don't know who said it, but what do you think of that idea, and did you engage with that at all? Yeah, so the first one, person to say that, the first public figure, uh, was uh, Jimmy Carter back in the 1970s. He said it's the United States is not a melting pot. It's it's more of a mosaic, a beautiful mosaic. And since then, we've had other metaphors. I think someone called it a salad bowl, and, and there have been a few others like that. And I don't think it's gotten that way yet. 
But if we look around the world and see other countries who have who have gone down the route of of having a mosaic or 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 whatever you like a, a salad bowl, those countries don't do well, and the statistics show it. And and that's uh, the last last chapter in my book documents that very well with statistics that show that that, that countries that are ethnically divided have substantially lower living standards, substantially lower uh, GDPs, uh, far worse corruption. Uh, you know, virtually any social measure you want to take, countries that, that go down the route of separation end up worse off. And, and it, you can think of it intuitively. When, when you have a bunch of people living together who all think they share something and that they're all on the same team, they cooperate better. They 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 work together. Uh, when you have people who think they're on twenty different teams, uh, things don't work so well. So going back a little bit to the making of this book, what did you do to sort of put all this information together, gather it, stuff like that? So a, a lot of it was based on on the ground research. So I, I went to countries all over the world, everywhere from Botswana to Bosnia. Uh, in places like Bosnia and Rwanda, I actually interviewed people who participated in, in the genocides and the wars in those places, as well as uh, people who narrowly escaped with their lives. Um, so a lot of on-the-ground interviews. Ultimately, I, I covered 40 different countries. The, um, the historical research took a long time as well because I, I was committed to doing it entirely with um, primary sources, so if you look, read through the chapter on Rome, you'll find that it all refers to Suetonius and Tacitus and Polybius. It's all all written based off of primary Roman sources. Um, so it was it was a long effort. Uh, it spread out over two decades. So <laughs> great deal of research went into it. So two decades of work. How do you feel now that this has come together? Uh, I am very happy to be through, uh, to, to actually have it out there. Uh, it's good, good to have it done. And so what's next for you? Well, you know, this particular book, uh, it, it really does, I think it does a good job of, of framing the problems and the issues that are confronting us. It, it does not really provide solutions, however. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't really describe a path forward. So I, I'm contemplating a book that really focuses on that. I, you know, what, given where we are right now and given where other multi-ethnic societies are, what, what are the steps going forward? And, and so that's, that, that's probably going to be the next project. Sort of as a preview, I guess, then, what are your preliminary ideas about what does come next and what are the steps to work with this? I, you know, I think what we saw in Rwanda, and I, I give some nice examples of how Rwanda did a complete turnaround after their genocide. And, you know, it was one of, they had the lowest standard of living in the world in 1995. And they managed to turn it around to achieve the highest growth in the world for 20 straight years. And you go there today, it's actually a very nice place to visit. Kigali, the capital, is it's like going to Switzerland. It's it's amazing, and and the way they achieved that was number one by 
eliminating any distinction between groups. They, they went to a new motto that there are no Hutus and Tutsis, we're all Rwandans. So that's, that's really step one, is that you, you eliminate any, any sense of group distinction whatsoever. And to the point that when you do a poll or any kind of uh, census, that you don't allow those kinds of questions. We're all Americans. Uh, so, so a second step, which is similar to what they did in Rwanda, is to engage in major projects that involve all people. Uh, so, for example, we already have uh, military service, which which is not compulsory. Um, what we could do is is add add to that a national service program that would give people money for college so that you could have millions of young people basically working on a, a CCC type of uh, effort where, you know, that brings a lot of, a lot of people from different backgrounds together to, to work on the same project. And that, that has worked very well for Rwanda as well and, and in some other countries. So those, those are, you know, off the top of my head, the first couple of ideas. This is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Maddie Welsh, and I'm talking with Jans Heike. What do you think that would look like in the United States? Well, I, I think, you know, something like the National Service Program has actually been done in Germany. And, you know, in the United States, we don't want to have a compulsory National Service Program or a compulsory draft. Yet we give hundreds of billions of dollars of college aid out right now, um, you know, basically for nothing in return. And we could shift that so that people in order to get that aid actually have to either, either do military service or, or participate in some kind of national service program. Um, and, you know, this one, I'm still thinking it through, but, but initially that it, it would look something like that. So what is your pitch for why people should read this book? I think it's essential for everybody to understand, first of all, where we are as a country right now in terms of, of the division that exists between different groups and, and understand how dire the consequences are of continuing to divide people by ethnicity and by race um, and that's really what the, the examples show in the book is, is how dangerous that is and how hard it is to fix it once you go down that path. Uh, so that's the main message is that dividing people by group is it's, it's really one of the most dangerous things you can do. And it, it has terrible consequences and can be terribly hard to fix once you've done it. What do you think that individuals can do to sort of combat this? Yeah, at an individual level, I, I would say that the most people can do is, is uh, petition their politicians um, and, and try to play down differences. Try to, to get together with other people of different backgrounds and treat them all as Americans. Um, and, and you know, keep in mind every single day that that the people around you are not this group or that group, they're fellow Americans. Emphasize that that shared identity that we all have rather than, than these separate little identities that 
are sometimes at odds with each other. That's about all the questions that I have. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about the book or anything? Well, it's, I, I would add one thing, and that's that it's actually entertaining read. Uh, has some good stories and a good, good anecdotes and, and some hopeful notes as well. Um, so I do hope everyone will read it. And where, where can people get this book? They can get it online at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, bookshop.org. And, and also it can be ordered from most local bookstores, but uh, yeah, any of the major online uh, retailers has it. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Our guest has been Jans Heike, and I'm Maddie Welsh on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.